Hello, everybody, and welcome to PBN Style. You are in the place to find clarity, consistency, and authenticity in the way you develop your brand. On today's show, I have with me Mr. Jeff Willie, and we are talking all things leadership. Uh, Jeff is an amazing associate professor at the University of Phoenix, as well as an executive director of the John Maxwell team. He trained and mentored with John Maxwell himself and mentors his own world-class faculty. Jeff is equipped with tools, resources, and experiences to improve you and your team's leadership, teamwork, communication, professional skills, personal growth, productivity, performance, and profitability. He facilitates organizations, churches, school leadership, and personal growth workshops throughout the United States. And he has a personal growth coaching client in Cameroon, West Africa. I am so excited to have him on the show. Stay tuned. Welcome to PB and Style, the perfect podcast sandwich where host Andrea Patrick empowers, educates, and encourages you to find your inner influencer and personify their brand. She'll have you tapping into your authentic authority and engaging in a real way. Remember, leadership is a journey, not a destination. Enjoy today's dish. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I'm so excited to dive into this thing called leadership. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you here. No worries. So let's get down to business. Tell us who Jeff Willie is. How did Jeff Willie become this amazing John Maxwell executive director? Now, first of all, guys, listening, I want you to know that Jeff and I met at uh, the Allen Fairview Chamber. And uh, he is a powerhouse. Let me just tell you, his presence, he is former military. So, you know, already his presence is like very stoic and just very like I am a military. But his speech his just wait, you'll just wait. Jeff, go ahead. Tell us who you are. Well, let me give you a long story, short version. Um, where my values come from is through my father and well, raised in East Texas. That's where it comes from. That root that grounding and that base of a family of 15 children. Wait a minute. We need to stop. We got to absorb that for a second. 15. Guys, I only had three. I cannot imagine. Well, let me just paraphrase. Let me just make sure I cleared it up because my mother and father had 15 children, but 12 survived because one obviously still worked. Uh, raised in a rural area, still births, uh, no medical care. We I all were born raised at home. 12, 12 is still a big number. 12 is still a big number. <laughs> and guess what? Six boys and six girls. Wow. Yes, absolutely. So we was basically raised as the Willie Dozen. You know? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the Willie, the Willie, the Willie Dozen. And I'm the youngest son out of that. I'm the youngest one. I'm the youngest son. I got oh, brothers. Wow. My older brother is 73. And then, of course, migration down the main. I'm, I'll be 62 in November. Wow. Guys, you never know. You never know. 62. Yeah, yeah, that's where we are. That's where we are. I'm the, but I have two sisters younger than me. So they're number 11 and 12. And I'm, I'm number 10. And that group of 12. Wow. But being raised in a rural environment, being raised by a father that couldn't read and write, Father was illiterate. He was born in 1910. You can imagine in 1922, my grandfather passed away. And wow. so my father, being the oldest of his siblings, at 11 years of age, he became the man of his household, raised taking care of his mom and taking care of his sisters and brothers in 1922 at the age of 11. Now, you fast forward, being raised by a father would have those type of values, had that type of work ethic, had that type of commitment where you had that sense of responsibility fairly early in life 
are now raising boards and guess the expectations are. To do the same. If I could if I could done it at eleven, you could do it. You can do it. So I had a conversation. he had a conversation with me when I had my thirteenth birthday. He said, You're a man now, you're on your own. If I have to tell you what to do, this is not the place for you to live. Oh my. So at thirteen, you can imagine saying that to a thirteen year old person right now. But back then that was a conversation that's coming from that value system. I think I said you shared with you earlier that I got up at four o'clock this morning. Yeah. Well, I've been getting up at four o'clock practically all of my life. Oh my word. So it doesn't matter what time I go to bed because I went to bed about twelve thirty. <gasps> wow. But at four o'clock this morning I was up and I was working at four o'clock this morning because as a little boy I was up at four o'clock. As we say in the rural area, you would say feeding hogs, you suburbanites, <laughs> but us, us, us rural folks, we would say slopping hogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I may sound sophisticated now. <laughs> However, I did grow up on a farm with hogs oh, and cows. Hogs. Yes, okay. yes. So, and feeding the chick, uh, chickens and getting the eggs and feeding the dogs and then getting ready for school and having breakfast and getting on the bus in the rural environment. So that environment kind of shaped my value system, kind of shaped my work ethic. And plus, we raised all our food. So you can imagine we're eating extremely healthy mm-hmm. because we're not getting chips. I, sir, I relate to that because yeah. I did not have my first processed anything until my parents got divorced and I moved away from the family farm because they would have um, a period of time. You know this. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't remember what time of year it was, but there was always the slaughtering of the pigs, right? And so we would have a time where they would the, the guys would go down, slaughter the pigs, and then the, the wives would be up in the kitchen and we would be cleaning the chitlins and making the lard yes. and, and processing all the meat. I remember that as a little girl. I got in the biggest trouble because my mom had just bought me this white coat, white, and I was down there with my dad. And I got blood, pig's blood on my coat. She was hot with me. But so it must have been cool, cold time of the year that we did that. So I am very familiar. I didn't have my first processed anything until I was in probably middle school. My parents divorced at 10, but we stayed in our area around my family for a little while. And then we moved away about middle school. And so, yeah, I did. I mean, so I natural food and I'm a big proponent of got to have your green vegetables. I grew up on vegetables, you know, so my family's like, please leave us alone. No, got to have a green vegetable. You come in my house, you want to have vegetables. You have to have green vegetables. So I completely relate. I love that. Yeah. Now you can imagine being raised by that type of structure. My father never could read and write. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw my birth certificate, it was uh, 1977 when I joined the United States Air Force. I had been out of high school for about a year, so I needed my birth certificate to join the military. My mother gave me my birth certificate. At that time, my father is still living, passed away in 78, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But when I get my birth certificate and I see that, wait a minute, there's no father signature on my birth certificate. It says X. The county clerk wrote Hobie Willis Mark. Wow. Because guess what? I was born November the 10th, 1957. My birth certificate was issued to my mother and father because that's the time they got a chance to get to Carthage, which is the county seat. They got a ride after all those births, and they recorded those births in the Bible, and now they take that Bible to the county clerk, and that county clerk issued birth certificates. So my birth certificate was issued to my mother and father on October 26th, 1962. Wow. That's when it was signed. That was five years later. Five years later. Almost five years later. About a month shy, a few days shy, five years. Wow. But that's how it was done. I remember that. My great great grandmother, that's how it was with her. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother, 
says that my great grandmother says my grandmother was born on uh, October 5th. But because they wrote it in the Bible and all this, and by the time it went to county records and all that, they put it down as November 5th. And so my grandmother celebrated October and November. And November. She did. A lot of folks did as well back then. Amazing. You can imagine having that type of environment. Now that's an epiphany taking place when I read my birth certificate and I realized that my father, all those years, he was a, he was masking his illiteracy. Mm-hmm. would ask questions about reading. Or read this. Mm-hmm. Can't you read this? What's the teacher say? Right. He was able to master that, but a very intelligent. You talk emotional intelligence when you can navigate your world and go to World War II and fight for this country that didn't fight for you. Mm-hmm. But yet he fought for this country and he came back after he got back from World War II. That's when he met and married my mom after World War II. But you can imagine him doing that. Illiterate. 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 So wow. Brave. And brave. You're talking navigating your world. So I, I bank a lot on emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that, because I was raised based on that, because 13 years of age, getting up early at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was a little boy. So obviously the responsibility and the work ethic is there coming from that environment. But now here I am at 19 years of age, and I see my birth certificate for the first time. And then my father couldn't read and write now. And I, I didn't share with you, even though we was raised as a Willie Dozen, only six of out of that dozen graduated high school. Wow. Because the focus was work. Right. Work. You got to the eighth grade. After that, you work. Because we grew up in segregated schools. Mm-hmm. And until the third part, then the school, the school district eventually integrated. And we started going to school with, uh, with Caucasians as well. Mm-hmm. But primarily, that was the focus. Work. And so I'm the youngest one. So only two brothers, two boys graduated. My second brother and I graduated. And we both all both went in the military. We both retired from the military. And we both went on to pursue our college education and became college professors as well. Wow. But you can imagine that struggle because that education was not part of our conversation. College, what did it start? K, I'm not sure what it started with. I had no idea. I struggled just getting out of high school. Mm. But when I was 19, there was an epiphany that took place when I saw it at X. There was a turning point in my life because I'm thinking at that moment, all those years, I was being a selfish teenager and I could have been teaching my father to read, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so that changed me significantly when I saw that X. Matter of fact, if you ever get a chance, a couple of years from now, you'll be purchasing my book, and it's going to call, be called the title, The Value of X. Wow. Because of that, because that became from illiteracy to literacy. And so I made a pledge internally that my family, anything that came out of me, out of my DNA, will no longer be part of a illiteracy background. Mm. So that's been the legacy. That's part of our legacy right now is part of my family legacy for my wife and I, because it's five of us. When I say five of us, because my son-in-law, and I was just doing this last night, just doing the math last night. If I just do my two daughters, I have an older two old two daughters, two adult daughters, and my wife and I, combination out of that group, we have 14 degrees. Wow. And then I had my son-in-law, where now that brings 15 degrees. And I may have missed one off. I got to go back and check. But I may be, <laughs> maybe minus one. The fact is that I turned out it, the negatives and the positive, illiteracy and illiteracy. You would ask, if you'd asked me 30 years ago, coming out of high school, that Jeff Willie would be a college professor at this time in his life, I would have said, What? I would have gave you that stare, that deer in the headlight kind of look like you talking to me. <laughs> that would not be part of my conversation at all. And, but you get around like-minded people, you get around growth-minded people, it can change your world. And plus, you've got the internal drive 
and a persistence and a desire to make a difference. And that's been part of my legacy, a desire to make a difference in my life so I can add value to others. My tagline is serving and adding value to people. People are my business. It's all about serving, but you can't serve folks unless you serve yourself first. And that is adding value to you. That way you have something to give. I love it. You're absolutely right. And I love what you said about um, being around like-minded people. And I think before we can even get to that point, we have to understand who we are, like you said. And the the history you just gave us of how you became Jeff Willie says a lot, uh, I think, to the listener that, you know, it's not where you came from. It's how you use what you got while you were there to get where you are. And I love that you were able to take your father's illiteracy. You had that epiphany moment where you saw uh, what he did with what he didn't have was amazing. And I, you saw that value in that. And then you took it and made the vow to yourself that from here forward, that will not be an issue in my family. And you got 14, 15 degrees between you and your immediate family as a result of what you, how you were influenced and then the experiences you had after that. And so I think that was so valuable. I really appreciate that story. Now, one of the things in your, um, uh, in your bio, you talk about the um, disbehavior analysis, that you are a consultant for that. And I want um, everyone to sort of understand what the disc analysis is and how they can use it um, and even if they don't take the analysis themselves, because some people don't have access to it or they haven't, but um, how can they take some of the basic principles and sort of use it for themselves? Let me give you a little history of the DISC. Okay. What it's about, obviously, is the behavior assessments. Mm-hmm. It's helping you become self-aware of you. In order to grow yourself, you need to no. grow yourself. And most people go through life not knowing themselves, and so they never reach their maximum capacity. Mm -hmm. They never know what their goals are. They never know what their objectives are. They never know what their life, their purpose is. And they try to do that by not knowing who they are and Mm -hmm. self-aware. And sometimes we make those subjective guesses. People might give us some reflection on who they think we are. But when you take that DISC assessment, it kind of gives you a sight picture. It's not 100%. There's nothing out there that's 100%. But it gives you a sight picture where you look at and once you see that sight picture, and I'll give you some what the this stands for in a minute, but once you see that sight picture, the self-awareness starts taking place because the key essence of growing is self-aware, self-reflection. And sometimes we get so busy and we don't stop to reflect. Mm-hmm. And then we never, never really reach our full capacity. Until we walk around with our suitcase full of baggage because we never opened it up you know, to look and see where it all came from. Where it come from. Mm-hmm. Where it come from. And the disc helps with that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you those those history perspective, but it starts pinpointing those values and mm-hmm. it helps you reflect, oh, I got this from here. Mm-hmm. This is where this came from. Mm-hmm. This, this is a mark. This Okay, now I understand. Now I understand my behavior. But the key component of that you understand your behavior. Now, based on you understanding your behavior, you start reflecting on how you communicate, how others are behaving. With other, yes. That's the power of that. So if you got a work environment, you have a family environment, and if you, I give you an example, with my wife and my two daughters and my son-in-law, it helps us to communicate better with each other. There's not a right or wrong. It's who you are. Exactly. So true. We all are wired differently. And so we can't tell people how to feel we need to understand what makes them feel the way they feel. Right. And so you can res- respect that and appreciate 
why they think the way they think, why they communicate the way they communicate. So it's not a right or wrong. It's who they are. We all are different. We all, we all have a, everyone in the face of the earth have a different what? Fingerprint. Yes. And when you think about someone's, uh, how they, like, my husband and I always have this conversation. We can't, I can't control how you, how you handle what I say. I can only control how I react. I can only control me. So when we understand what we need, and I think what you're going to get to here mm-hmm. in a second is when you understand what you need as a person, then the communication with other people is easier and it's easier for you to react better. Better. Because now you know, okay, that is a trigger for me. I should probably just hold my tongue. Mm-hmm. Or I get excited by that. I, will, I, I am more motivated by that type of communication. I'll work harder. But you have to know that about yourself before you can... You can interact really, I think, truthfully and authentically with other people. people. And it's about communicating, connecting with other people. Right. Knowing how they are. Once you understand how they are, if you take this in a work perspective, yes. is I'm a leader. Yes. And if i got five or six members that are my team members, I need to know how they are wired and how I communicate with them. My job as a leader is not about my communicating with myself, but if I want to be able to grow them, I need to be able to know how how they are wired and how do I communicate with them to get the maximum out of them because I need to serve them. I don't communicate with others based on how I communicate. I communicate with others based on how they need to be communicated to. Yes, and so I love that you said that because there's a John Maxwell quote, which I know you will know, uh, and I love it. I have it as part of my training, and he says, a manager will uh can keep a trip can keep a ship in line with the way it's supposed to go but it's the leader who can steer that ship and make it go in different directions what it what it does i love it what it does it says your key word is navigation yes i can train a monkey to steer but a leader has to navigate yes. all those paths i love That's it the focus of that because you got to have a vision you got to have a focus when you get off track the leaders brings you back but I can still put that monkey at the helm and say, go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because the monkey don't have the vision. Right. The monkey don't have the focus. Yeah. The monkey don't have the relationships and so can't navigate those waters. Yes. But you got to know yourself. You got to know yourself. You got to know how you how yourself communicates with others and how to communicate with other people. You just hit it. You just hit it. Now tell me, let's finish with the disc. The, the disc is, of course, 1928. Dr. William Marston identified the disc theory, and he came up with four dominant discs. Disc being dominant, D being dominant, I being influential, and S being steady, and C being compliant. And you have those people in your organization. You want a person that's dominant. Now, obviously, you've got to understand as a, oh, you can be overbearing. But think about, let's give you some characteristics of the dominant, some of the strengths, so you know that. Now, you, you're going to start recognizing some of these folks, but you got to also know their strength, what motivates them, and what their weaknesses are, and what their fears are. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to do Oh, I bet you nobody listening could tell that. Mm. But, but I'm also part I, too. But when I first took the disc, I did it as part of my organizational behavior class at the University of Phoenix, where I teach as a professor. And I did the disc. This is about a few years removed from the military. I was more of a D D because of still on the military characteristic. Mm-hmm. And then as I've got older, I mean, I've taken it in the last couple of years. I'm now more influential, more relaxed. So I've got more I. And mm-hmm. I'll talk about the I. Let me give you me. These are my strength: confident, driven, results oriented, 
I love it. Thrives on a challenge. I love a challenge. Wow. I get bored very quickly, I'll tell you. And I'm an action taker. I get it done. That's me. Just like it before o'clock. And I'm motivated by a challenge and competition. I love it. Got to have it. Okay. <laughs> but, but see, you got to recognize, but these are my witnesses. Room for improvement. Room to grow. I'm impatient and can be argumentative. Mm. I can be overpowering. Mm-hmm. I dislike routine. Mm. And I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. And but everybody around you is not a workaholic, that's so true. that could be my weakness because I'm a workaholic. But that's how you recognize. I, recognize I love that. it. Mm-hmm. But let me give you some of my some of my fears, though. Some of my fears. I fear losing control. Mm-hmm. Those are the things. And so when you work with a D and you know that they fear losing control. So how do you communicate with that? First, you know what their strengths are. So you got to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. You know they're decisive. Mm-hmm. You know they're direct talkers. So don't take it personally. Right. Understand. That's just the way they communicate. And then when you talk to them, you got to make sure that you're talking direct too because they want to be communicate direct. Right. Don't be all over the chart. Right. Make sure you be straight to the point. Right. And get it. And be on. Yes. That's my husband. So you recognize you have, Oh, gosh. <laughs> Everything you said is my yeah. husband. Let's give you this, this I, this part of me that's I, part of my, it's, it, I've gained this over the years. And I think I had it now just coming forefront, talkative. I'm very friendly, very optimistic, always encouraging. That's why I'm a motivational speaker. And I've always been that way. Part of it, but now it's more prevalent now. And of course, Sometimes my weaknesses is, you would think so, but easily distracted. Most eyes are. Give an example. You have an eye person that works on your team. They are big on relationships. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put them in a box. Mm-hmm. You want to put them in an open area. If you want to make sure, don't put them in a cubicle. Make sure they're in an open area. That person needs to be your customer service rep because they're very outgoing. They're very talkative. They're very friendly. They're very smile. They rather go to lunch than go to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. But you need those people because they're extremely sociable. They're the life of the party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When there's stress at work, call in the eye. <laughs> That's right. They That's get, right. They can ease the water. I love how this translates into entrepreneurship because as an entrepreneur, when I'm teaching people about like uh, doing business online, having more of a digital business, it's so important to understand who your customer is, your customer base, who they are, how they operate, what they need in terms of information to make their conversion decisions. Um, so it, I think this this is a great tool for that as well. You may not be able to give every one of your customers the disk behavioral analysis, but because you know sort of the customers that is going to benefit from the service or product you provide, you can develop a profile for who that customer is. And based on that profile, you can, uh, you know, you can attach some of these uh, tools to help you figure out this one person. I always talk to the clients and say, listen, don't think of your customers as a whole group of people. Develop a profile for one person. Because if you just talk to that one person, you can apply all of that to that one person. And that is where the DISC behavioral analysis can come in. Um, So if you're listening to this, this is a great opportunity for you to go out and research the DISC behavioral analysis and look at uh, the different behaviors between dominant and uh, influencer and steady and compliant. And compliant. Go look and see what those mean. Get the definitions of that. And then you can develop a profile for your customer 
using that tool based on the service or product you're providing to them and who you know needs it. And now you can begin to communicate, which is what Jeff was just talking about. When we're communicating with people, it's not how we want to communicate. It's how they need to hear us communicate in order for what we're saying to be effective and for them to absorb it. I had the same challenge uh, creating a course a few years ago. I created a course based on what I wanted people to know. And I learned very quickly that that's not going to fly. You create the course based on what people need to hear. But before you can do that, you got to go out and find out what people need to hear. So this is a practical application to what Jeff is saying. You can't create, if you're out there struggling to create content, you can't create the content that you want people to have. You have to understand your client well enough to know what they need to convert the way you want them to convert. And that's what you provide them in your communication. Absolutely. Very good. Some of the other attributes, I just want to say some of the key components of the disc. This is what it does. I guess some learning outcomes, and then you can go to the next question. But it improves, increases your self-knowledge, how to respond to conflict, what motivates you, what motivates your customers, what motivates your family, what causes stress, and how to solve problems. Improve both working relationships by recognizing the communication needs of your team members. Facilitate better teamwork and teach productive conflict. Develop stronger sales skills by identifying what you just said and responding to the needs of your customers. Because once you understand yourself and understand these behavior analysis, you'll know exactly when you know an I walks through the door and you have a, you have a, you have a sales rep and now you have an I as a customer. You need to make sure that you are being social. Talk to them about their family because they're very social. If you have a D that walks through the door, get the business, get down the business, and get going. And, you know, and so, so many people have, I think, um, have been struggling in their business or even in their professional life because they don't understand that it's not about them and they're uncomfortable doing the things that we're saying to do. Because if someone walks in the door and they are sociable and you're not, you're uncomfortable trying to make that chatty conversation, but you, you have to push yourself if you want to reach that person because it's not about how you communicate, it's about how they communicate and how they're going to receive your information. Again, I bring my husband up a lot because he's this is so interesting. My husband is the dominant, just period, dot. Um, but I'm very social. So when we have people over, he can stand it for a little while. You know, he'll talk and he'll do his best. But then after a little bit, you'll see him sort of drift off to a place by himself. And he sort of removes himself from the social element of everything. So, yeah, but he knows himself well enough to know that he needs to engage for a little while. And then he finds the right time when maybe things low down a little bit and he'll just kind of remove himself from the situation, whether it's going to wash dishes or <laughs> he might go check on some, one of the kids or something. But he finds a way. <laughs> he does. He finds a way. I want to move on because yes. I think that. This whole conversation about leadership is so important as uh, whether you're someone listening to this uh, to uh, advance in your career or if you're someone listening to this who has a small business, a startup or whatever. Leadership is so important because our our goal is to reach a level of success that we've deemed is successful. And so in order to do that, there's always going to be an element of leadership, um, of, of just being in the forefront, being being the dominant or maybe not in the disc uh, uh, form of the word, but definitely being in a position of authority where you are, are climbing, basically. So with leadership, where do you believe it begins? Because I think we need to kind of go back a little bit because we've talked about 
um, like how you like your your upbringing and how you became who you are. But I want people to see where they can begin to look for their own epiphany moment where they kind of can look back and say, oh, OK, I do have it in me to be a leader. So where do you think leadership begins? Keyword leadership begins with self. You have to you cannot lead until you learn to lead yourself. And a lot of leaders have made that mistake because they're trying to lead others, and yet their lifestyle themselves mm-hmm. is chaotic. So mm-hmm. you have to learn to lead yourself. And sometimes we teach those leadership principles in major schools, 26 years in the military, I've been to a lot of leadership academies, and we fail to focus on the self-leadership, the self-development. Sometimes you feel, you go through life, you feel like you're stuck. Mm-hmm. You might be stuck in your business. You, you've reached a plateau. And I'm teaching a mastermind right now called No Limits. And No Limits is talking about that leadership capacity, production capacity, relationship capacity, spiritual capacity, uh, uh, production capacity. When you recognize that you've reached a certain plateau and you feel like a stuck stinks, <laughs> it does. And all because you're not leading yourself. Um, you have to have that self-development, develop a personal growth plan. Sometimes you have to get a leadership coach or a life coach to kind of walk you through some things. I'm very fortunate that I have coaching clients. I had a coaching client that called me this week. She's 69 years of age. She's trying to get to another level in her life because she's still living. And so I just sent her a coaching contract this mm-hmm. a couple nights ago because she's trying to get to another level. Mm-hmm. She recognizes that she's stuck. And what now for those on this line to listen to this call, you might be younger than 69. It doesn't matter if you're still on the face of the earth and you might be older than 69. So if you're 50 years old out there and you're listening to this and you're saying, I'm getting old, I need to stop you right now and say, you're not getting old. That's right. That's right. Don't get caught trapped into that because I I guess I can't do it until I get, uh, I'm getting too old to do it. I guess you expect to get younger. Right. It's not going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to happen. So get out of your stuck mindset and become a growth mind growth-minded, lifelong learner, and always about adding value to yourself. I watch a lot of leaders trying to tell people and trying to be served and not serving. Mm. Leadership is about serving. Serving. It's about serving, and you can't tell people what to do. People are not going to do what you say. They're going to do what you do, and Mm. you have to lead by example. When you're growing as leaders, as a parent, as a mother, as a father, as an entrepreneur, the people around you, they see you still willing to grow and add value to yourself. You become a catalyst for those folks around you and they start growing because they don't. If they look at me. I'll be 62 in November. My brother, the 72, is one of my clients. He's oh, still wow. growing. He's in my classes and he is still growing. So I'm encouraging the senior citizens out there. If you're still living, you're still on the face of the earth, you still have a purpose, you still have a mission, and make sure you continue to grow just because you're 90. You still can grow. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Who is that uh, fitness person? She's like in her. There was like a, a one that ran a marathon, marathon, and she was a hundred, wasn't she, she or something she like that? And she got through it, and then there was a lady that's in a seventy to seventy-nine, and she was a world-class bodybuilder. Bodybuilder, yes, I know her. A beautiful lady too. Mm-hmm. She does not look seventy. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what you just said because 
Um, and I, the question actually was, I want uh, people to understand, but you, I didn't say it because I wanted you to say what you said. And you said you did a great job, great yeah. job. All right. But I asked, the question was, where do you believe leadership begins? And the question was, with understanding yourself or understanding those you intend to lead? And he said, with understanding yourself, because, guys, it's so important for you. You, I, We talked about, I said this earlier with the whole baggage thing. You know, if you walk around with a suitcase full of your mess, is heavy. How are you ever going to teach, lead, you know, do anything with other people when you're holding on this heavy baggage? You need to unpack it, understand it, so that you can, like you said, bring people along on their own journey. If you don't even know what your journey is, how can you help pull somebody along a similar journey? And I was I read I was reading this book called The Expert Secrets, and one of the things he talks about, you said epiphany moment that you had with your father. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, when you're when you're bringing people along with you, you can't just tell people like you just said. You just can't say, do this. I figured it all out. Now I found the answer. Now you just do this and expect people to follow. What you have to do is remember your own journey, which means like what we just said, understanding you. You got to remember your journey and then you need to meet those people where they are. And wherever they are, figure out what part of the journey you were on at that particular time. Absolutely. Hold their hand and walk them through the process and let them have their own epiphany moment. It's at that point they've learned something. And when I heard that, when I read that, what it reminded me of, my grandfather used to say, uh, my, all my grandparents did, everybody older in my family used to say, I can give you this fish or I can teach you how to fish and then you'll never be hungry. And that is what that reminds me of. I can tell you what the answer is, but you're not going to learn anything. Let me go with you. Let me meet you where you are. Hold your hand and walk you down this journey that I went through. We relate to one another until you have your own epiphany moment. And now you figured out why you are the way you are, who you are, what you can do with it on your own. You've had your own epiphany moment. Amen. I love that. Uh, Absolutely. My other analogy with that is that when you schedule a trip, do you want a travel agent that's never been there, or do you want a tour guide that's along with you? Right. I love that, too. You're right. <laughs> I have a friend who is a travel agent, and she just said to me last week, she's like, you know, some travel agents would have booked people to the Bahamas um, with no regard for it being hurricane season. She said, but when I book people, I always say, now, are you sure you want to go during this time? And if so, it's very important that you get trip insurance because this is hurricane season. So there is a difference. A difference. There is a difference. You have to really know. Uh, you got. You got to know yourself, really. And I think that's really key to being a leader. I think we get into this entrepreneurship business, or we we go to school and say, "Oh, I want to be, you know, the VP of such and such and such." And we don't, because they're leaders, right? They're like the top of the food chain. But you don't think about all it takes to get there and that once you get there you won't be influential you won't be able to lead people if you've not done the work first yourself and you have not earned the right and you've to not be earned the right to be, be there because leadership is influence nothing more it is it is so what do people get wrong jeff yeah. like what is the, their misconception about leadership we just touched on it a bit but lead some people get leader think leadership they confuse it with authority ah leadership no, no, no. That's not what it's about. It's not authority. A leadership is earned. Earned authority is obviously you got. It's also a matter of respect. But when you get leadership confused with authority, that is out of order. Why? Because leadership is about serving. 
And when you serve people, you will earn their respect and you will earn the authority. Mm. But until you serve, you're never going to earn the authority until you learn to serve. That is awesome. That's good. Because you're right. People do get the authority part because they just want to be in charge. You know where you see that the most? Oh, don't, don't say it. Don't you dare say it. I'm going to say it. Go ahead. I'm going to hold my seatbelt. In church. She said it. She said it. You should. And if, guys, if you can see this, I'm going to. I knew she was going to say it. He is cringing. It's the truth. We have authority in church. So oftentimes, at least in the black church, I can speak on that because that's what I am. But you have people who have roles in the church, deacon elder, trustee, and these are leadership positions within the church where they may not have leadership positions in the world. And so some people hold on to that authority they believe they have. I'm shaking, I'm shaking. (laughs) And it can become a a negative for the church. Um, And I think we, at least in African-American churches, could learn a few lessons from the idea of leadership being a serving component and then the authority piece is earned. Because you don't really have to tell somebody that you're in control of something if you actually are in control of something. And you don't have to be the thorn in everybody's side reminding people that you are this leadership role because people fall in line and want to work with people who are serving. Servant, servant leadership. Ken Blanchard and Phil Hodges have a, a ministry called Lead Like Jesus mm. based on servant leadership. And I have Phil Hodges and Ken Blanchard's book. And I do a workshop on Lead Like Jesus as well. I did some pastors in Louisiana and Cushada, Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana, as well as here in East Texas on Lead Like Jesus. What she's talking, what Andrea is talking about, she she's talking about my why I do what I do, the educational piece, the because of the illiteracy factor, and growing up in segregated schools, not having the resources that my other sisters and brothers all across town had, mm-hmm. limited resources, and then the church system as well. Those two systems into my why to my background was part of a key dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. That contribute to the negative that was gave me negatives, and God has given me the ability to turn them into positives. Positive. Mm-hmm. And so, when I'm working with church leaders, we talk about those particular things. Lead like Jesus. If you want to share that, Jesus came to serve, not mm-hmm. to be served. So, the key component of leadership is servant leadership. And you can turn that pyramid upside down because if you are a servant leader, you are. You don't have to tell people that I'm in charge. People know that because you've gained their respect and mm-hmm. they know that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wear your badge of honor. People know that. You don't have to wear your rank, as we said in the military. You wear it, of course, but you don't have to. That's not the key. The key component is a relationship called servant leadership. It's about relationship. And one of your questions talked about the difference of leadership and, and manager. Mm-hmm. And manager. And of course, manager is a process. You're managing a theme. Leadership is all about the people and relationship because guess who's going to carry out the task, the thing, the people. And if you don't have the people buy in, because people are not going to buy into a vision until they buy into you. That's right. And so that's where you can cast a vision, 
And you, you, need to, you need to have a vision. You need to have a focus. But people are buying into you. When they buy into you, guess what they do? They will follow your vision. That's so good. And I love what you said here um, in relationship to leadership. You earn respect with leadership. Absolutely. But I also put with authority, that's a fear base. That's a fear base. So I love that distinction. I think it's important for us to get that because as entrepreneurs, which is the perspective I'm coming from with this podcast, as entrepreneurs, we don't want our clients to fear or to feel like they're missing out. We want them to respect that we are credible and that the information we're giving is going to help them with whatever it is they're doing. And so it's important for us to get that point that leadership is about earning the like just the respect and you're serving and but you don't want people to fear you again that goes back to the church but I love that and you answered the next question which is what I had but I want to ask this last question and I want to know um, from you what do you find being a John Maxwell executive director you know a lot about leadership you've been in his presence and you know kind of you coach people on this what is the mark of a good leader like what is i put what is the measure of a good leader because you've seen the the measure of a good man what is the measure of a good leader it's all about serving it's all about being authentic all about being real all about being transparent and share your story and share your journey journey don't hide it and and be and walk with people don't walk behind people don't walk in front of people walk along with with them alongside them as about serving them the focus of any relationship is their agenda should be your agenda, mm. not your agenda. Most people come in with my agenda, and then you expect someone to inherit your agenda. But as a servant leader, the mark of a great leader and a good leader is that I make my family agenda my agenda. I make my customers' agenda my agenda. I make my coworkers, team members, their agenda my agenda, and I help them execute their agenda. My job as a great leader is to elevate you to a great leader. My job as a great leader is not to grow you as a follower, it's to grow you as a great leader. leader. And my job is to add value to you to help you grow to become the best version of you. If you are working with someone and you're in a part of a team and that team leader is not helping you grow and reach your goals and asking you about you, most likely in due time, you're not going to be around that leader much longer because people don't leave organizations they lead people. Amen. They lead that person that's carrying that authority title as leader, and they're leaving. People are leaving churches. People are leaving schools. People are leaving businesses. People are leaving spouses. Spouses. Because as you spoke, I, again, I heard my husband. My husband says the same thing about relationships and, and with your wife. Mm-hmm. He says, we're leaders of the household, according to God. Our role is to lift up our spouse mm-hmm. and make her the best possible version of herself as she can be. Her agenda is my agenda. Her agenda is my And so when you said that, I immediately thought of him. But that he's absolutely right. Guys, that is the perfect place to leave this podcast because it's so important for you to know. If you want to lead in your business, in your, in your career, if you want to uh, be the leader of your church and your household, whatever it is, your role is to serve and help the people around you in your immediate surroundings be the best versions of themselves. Thank you, Will. Je- Thank you, Jeff, so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. You were a wealth of information. Guys, if you want to hear more about Jeff and what he's doing, I will leave all of his information in the podcast notes. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, remember, you can always go to andreapatrick.com forward slash podcast for the 
uh, podcast notes of this particular episode. And don't forget, if you are struggling with who you are and your why and understanding your value, I have the Highway 8 Road to Your Inner Influencer mini video course that you can find. I will also link that in the podcast notes so you can grab that. Great uh, little mini course that's absolutely free. Uh, Jeff is a motivational speaker, so if he has anything coming up soon, we'll make sure to get that in the podcast notes as well. And then lastly, guys, don't forget every Wednesday night, we are doing the Boss Talk conversation over in my Facebook group. So we look forward to you being there. In the meantime, don't forget PB and Style is the podcast to help you find clarity, consistency, and authenticity in the way you develop your brand. Don't forget to join Andrea over on our website where all the deliciousness really happens at andreapatrick.com. You can also find her on Facebook at AF Patrick Consult, Twitter at Andrea F. Patrick, LinkedIn at AF Patrick, and Instagram at AF Patrick. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.